0: Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. I'm your host Dan Blewett, and I have a great guest today. Jimmy Gonzalez is joining me, and he is a coach in the Cubs farm system for 2019. He will be managing in High A, which is the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. So he was last year with the uh, South Bend Cubs in the Midwest League. So he made a jump up, got a promotion. So he is the High A manager in Myrtle Beach this upcoming season. And Jimmy has a ton of baseball experience. So, dating back to his draft year, he was a 40th overall pick in the 1991 Major League Baseball draft. Went on to play 14 seasons in pro baseball with the Astros, Padres, Expos, and Mets. He also spent four seasons of winter ball in the Dominican Republic, uh, capturing two Caribbean Series titles. And if you don't know, the Dominican Winter League is a exceptional winter league. That's where obviously many of the Dominican major leaguers play. Many of the upcoming players play lots of the top upcoming American players. They'll play winter ball in the DR trying to get more exposure and to be in front of all these major league scouts and just to play pretty much the highest level of baseball possible in the winter when everyone else is in the off season for the majors. So he clearly grinded out a lot of years. In addition to, you know, those 14 seasons, uh, 140 games, and then he's going to go out and play another 40-50 in the DR every winter. So it just shows you how much he loved the game and and just how often he was behind the plate. So as I mentioned that, he was a catcher, so I'm super excited to hear his perspective on the game. As I'm sure you all know, the catcher is referred to often as the general. He is the guy that sees everything, can survey the entire field. So when you see a manager who's a former catcher, you know that they have a really unique perspective on the game, uh, having called pitches, having hit, having surveyed, and, and controlled the entire field you know for such a long time so he's gonna have some really great insight on pitching on catching on how to help young players focus on the right things as they're trying to develop as catchers and just as players in general so without further ado here is coach jimmy gonzalez hey jimmy how is the east coast treating you
1: dan how are you how are you the the east coast is not too bad right now we just had some bad weather come that just went by us the last few days but it's actually a little bit uh, on the mild side we're in the 40s now 50s so that's Mate. helping all this snow melt so uh, not too bad right now
0: that's good you guys are lucking out well number one thanks for coming on the show really appreciate it um i know thanks people out, out here in the midwest are eager to hear a little more from the cubs nation uh, out here i'm pretty much equidistant between chicago and st louis so you know, depending on which kid I'm working with in the academy, they're either a Cubs fan or, you know, a Cardinals <laughs> fan. So uh, I know they're always interested to hear about the pipeline and, and who's helping their uh, their beloved Cubs, you know, get back to glory again. Of course, I was talking with one of the little kids I was working with the other day. I'm like, you've never, you've never lived in a time where the Cubs weren't good. I'm like, how weird is that? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even know the history of the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a privilege can you you speak a little bit to your time so you've been with the Cubs for uh four seasons now this is your seventh uh, season is, manager. this is my
1: seventh season yes yes I, all... I came in I came in uh the year after Theo came in so once they they made a lot of changes in the organization, so there's been a lot of uh, new staff members it's kind of how they're revamping the whole Uh, just the whole minor league system that's where they where you start uh, the player development the scouting because we see we see this result at the big league level but all that honestly is starting from the scouting department first first and foremost they're the guys who are out there scouting getting these players and then they hand them over to the player department uh, player development and and we then take these guys and and mold them into what they are you know we have a a philosophy on how we're trying to just play the game. It has, uh, they have the ability, but it's okay. How, how can we play the game? How can we get the best out of these guys? So seeing, seeing that ultimate thing at the big league level, you know, it's, it's, it's been a process. And sometimes as fans, I think uh, they want to see it happen immediately. And just, that's just not a reality. So these things take time. I believe that it did happen quick from when, when that new ownership and when Theo came in from, from back then the 2012 around to even 16, that was relatively quick to be able to, to win a world championship was, was kind of fast, but from my first year to right now, I mean, I've seen just continued growth, which is, which is awesome. I'm, I'm definitely blessed to be on this, uh, in this organization and just how they, how they run things, how they let you be yourself, how they let you teach. And obviously they know who they're bringing in. So it kind of it kind of just goes hand in hand with, their, with what they're doing and what they're trying to do. So it's been a blessing for me as well.
0: Yeah, so it, it's interesting you mentioned that they let you sort of be an individual and, and teach what you want to teach. So one thing I've noticed in your bio that I I think is really – is really unique is that you went through major league scout school. So how do you feel like going through scout school and, and did you actually do any uh, any scouting throughout your career?
1: Throughout the career, you do it unknowingly, really. You know, you are there, especially towards the end of my career where maybe I wasn't playing as much and you're just on the bench and being, being a catcher, you just have a different perspective of the game. You're looking at so many things that you're just used to seeing. You're behind the play. You're seeing the whole field. And I know it's something that is said all the time, but it's true. You see the positioning of the infielders. You see what the pitcher's doing. You see the outfielders. You see all these shifts that obviously are now happening now more than ever, but you saw all that. So that's just from behind the play. So then being on the bench, I was also seeing all these things, uh, seeing other players, what are they doing, what is this catcher doing? Uh, so there was some scouting going on there before, I yeah, which sure. I realized after. I realized after, you know, especially going to scout school, just kind of the things that that I learned as to what to look for. And, and I said, okay. So it wasn't all full, completely new to me. It was like, okay, yeah, I've done that before. I didn't know I was doing that. but And that kind of helped me uh, just see things even uh, from a, from a scouting perspective. Um, which you know helped me at that at that particular point, but then it's also helped me continuing into my into my coaching career because again, especially as a manager, where I'm able to see, I have to see so many things other than just the pitcher. Now I'm looking at uh, where where's our infielders, where are our outfielders, how are we line up to this hitter, this pitcher, how are we throw them. So there's so many things that are going into that part, which obviously isn't about uh, mechanics or ability or any of that but it's it still the scouting part helped me in that in that uh in that area
0: so you did you go through scout school while you're still a player it sounds like or was it
1: during your managerial career no no this was all after all all okay. guys that go through this are it's when you're done playing you know either the people that were at the scouting school at this time which i went in 2005 i was done in 2004 playing I went in 2005, and I believe each organization at that time was able to invite uh, two, two people, two, uh, two candidates for the scout school. And uh, I went as part of – with the Boston Red Sox. That's who, who invited me, and that's how I went. So it was uh, all after I played and before I actually got into coaching.
0: Okay, gotcha. The way you're talking about, you know, your, your vision – of the field and behind the plate, I was like, man, that's an interesting idea. I wonder if anyone's ever gone through scout school while they're still playing. You know, not that you, that would make a lot of sense from a, you know, but it just, it seems like it could be a relevant skill set, almost like continuing education for like a player, especially as a catcher. And uh, we talked a little bit off camera or off, uh, off audio uh, about, you know, your ability as a catcher and, and what kind of catcher you are. So, Can you speak to that a little bit? So I know you were a guy who prides, were and are a guy who prides himself on defense, uh, both as a player and now, you know, your players. Um, But what kind of catcher were you? And how have you seen the catching profession changing, you know, with analytics and all the interesting stuff I'm sure the Cubs are doing? Um, How have you seen what? Let me rephrase this in a little bit shorter question, but um, what kind of catcher were you? And how have you seen the catching position change since, you know, in your 25
1: years in the game? Well, I was a guy who really took pride in the position. You know, I, I really, that was the, my number one thing. And it wasn't anything that I, I put hitting aside, but that was just what I had in my heart. I, I was, I, I believe I was drafted because of my catching first and then the ability I had to, to get better at everything else. So that was that was very something very important to me. If if there was a ball in the dirt, my I my focus was uh, I'm gonna block this ball. That was how I thought, and and if I didn't, I was bothered at myself. Where sometimes you see again, you know, this game has become offensive, and and nothing wrong with that. But you see where sometimes it happens where a ball might get by a catcher, and who knows if he. He's really upset or not, but we don't know. You know, sometimes it's like, ah, you know, what? that just happened. I'll, I'll wait for my next at bat. You know, that type mentality where yeah. I didn't have that. I just, I just had. Uh, I took tremendous pride into the position, into what I was trying to accomplish back there, and ultimately it was the the relationship I had with the pitcher, the trust that that I built with him, and their their ability to make the right pitch, knowing that. All right, this guy—he's gonna block this pitch. I'm gonna throw it, and I would—I would remind them of that. You know, I'd go out there in our in our uh, conversations, if it's me going to the mound or before the game or in between innings, I, I would remind them. You know, that that I I got you here. You know, it was that type of thing. And again, that's something I took pride in, just because it was on the on the defensive part.
0: Do you feel like you had a big mentor in your life when you were a young player who sort of instilled that in you, or did you just sort of always have that kind of bulldog mentality behind the the plate regarding your defense?
1: I believe that that kind of comes from within. I did have some guys that I just I just watched. You know, one of the, the biggest ones was Tony Pena. I just – and I didn't know him at the time, just watching how he, how he played. You know, I mean, that guy's a, a – had so much energy, passion, and, and obviously not even knowing him as a person, but just seeing that, just seeing that, and, and it's just a guy I always looked up to. I, I knew he was from where I was from, Dominican Republic, same town where my parents are from. Like all that all that was uh, was kind of – I was learning as I was uh, getting more into baseball and, and especially into the catching position. So it was kind of, it, it was there because you have you have to have that within you and then you do see other players that display that same type of what you feel passionate for. You see them displaying it and that's just, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And it's not necessarily that I said, this is what I want to be. It's just kind of, all right, you see that and that just kept, that just kept building. That just kept building. yeah And ulti- ultimately that's what it becomes.
0: So now we have tons of analytics and, you know, track man grades, pitches and grades uh, framing. Uh, do you see <clears throat> catchers changing because of that? And the way you teach catching today, is it starting to change or has it changed significantly since maybe even just
1: five years ago? Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I believe that's, that's so important. That is information that is there for us. How can we not take that information and now try to make, uh, the catchers better that that catching position better. So what I am seeing, and and it's something that from when I started playing, you know, we talked about all right, you know, receiving the ball well, uh, giving a good view to the umpire. That's how it was uh, talked about back then, right? So we were still doing these same things, but now we have all this information. So. We're trying to take this information and now just make better what we have been doing. And I believe we're adjusting our, our routines, our drills in order to make these things better. So I think it's, it has changed because there's a, there's a bigger spotlight on it now, as opposed to before there really wasn't anything that was out there. It was within the catching department. So if you had a a catching coach and, you were working and they were talking about this, but that was it. It just stayed there. And now it's, it's a stat. Uh, It's something that is really looked at now. So when even scouts and and other teams are evaluating other players, they're looking at that. Why? Because now that is helping the pitching side of it, which is ultimately that, that a catcher is there to help the pitcher. Obviously he's doing his own thing, but, he's helping the pitcher. So if we can get more pitches, then that's going to help us, uh, as a whole, but just individually as catchers as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I remember in my, I think it was my th- second season, I played with a, uh, a, a catcher who had spent like a couple seasons in big league camp each, each year. He was a high draft pick and I remember throwing a fastball way down into a lefty, you know, a pitch that like out mm-hmm. of my hand, just like watching it, like I, like I knew it was a ball, like it was going to be a couple mm-hmm. inches below the strike zone. And then he just sort of vacuumed it up and just stuck <laughs> it right at the bottom of the zone. It was a called strike. And like, I, I distinctly remember that pitch because my mind was blown. I'm like, wait, no, that that was a ball. And, and now mm-hmm. it's a strike. And that's, I think, a, a power, like a superpower that catchers have that, A lot of, like, I didn't know that was a thing that existed until he did that in that game. And that game, he probably got me five extra strikes. And as you know, the difference between, you know, that 1 1 fastball getting me to 2 1 versus now 1 2 is everything Uh because now I can bounce a curveball. I can punch that guy out. It's just so many, it just completely changes the complexion of it at bat. So it's one of those things that, you know you don't even know it's there even at high levels until you've got a guy that can do that stuff and it's it's like you said it's mind blowing it, it can it can make a pitcher so much better just those handful of strikes per game and uh, i mean i know at, towards the end of my career the more i realized how much catchers were doing for me the more i appreciated them because like man mm-hmm. like i need those extra strikes they can be pivotal you know if you the bases loaded and That's you're right. looking for that ground ball and you can get to 1-2 yeah. instead of 2-1 that could that could change that whole inning and change the whole game, you know, and That's get right. you out of that jam instead of, you know, you just get stuck in that jam. So That's right. I'm excited to have a catcher on the, you know, on the show because there's so much stuff like that that goes on behind the seasons. Can you speak a little bit to the emotional intelligence that you have to have as a catcher to, to calm pitchers down, to sort of get the best out of them? Like you said, you, you said you'd go up there after blocking a ball and be like, hey, I got you. Like, w- what kind of stuff would you see and do, and when would you kind of go out for a visit? Ha- ha- tell me about like corralling the, uh, the pitcher as, a, as an emotional creature.
1: I think you know, for me it was always you had to know the pitcher. You had to know how he, how he is as a person. You know, What's his personality? So there's, there's more than just what happens on the field. That's how you get to know your pitching staff. You hang out with them, you have conversations. So you know their personality to begin with. And then you're looking as things are happening in the game. How are they handling? Because things can speed up, things can get out of hand real quick in a baseball game, especially at higher levels when things begin to speed up uh, even more rapidly than at, at lower levels. So it's an, I believe it's knowing when to go out there, which now I, I tell my young catchers, you know, I explain situations and and not always during the game. Sometimes it's after the game or or even before a game as to who's, who's pitching. Hey, no one, you have to go out there and calm them down. And, and we talk about those situations. Uh, Those were things that were said to me. So I believe in, yeah, that works. Let me tell that to the catchers because they may not know to do that. So you go out there and, you also know their personality, so now you know. All right, what do I what do I have to tell him in this situation? Do I gotta calm him down? Do I gotta uh, kick him in the butt a little bit? Do I gotta get him going? So again, that goes back to how well do I know my pitcher, his personality, and what do I have to do to get the best out of him?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's times where you have to kind of go out there and just challenge a guy, like challenge his manhood, be like, Hey man, let's go. Like you don't have your I'm sure there's tons of times you've done that where, like you said, it's almost like, and I I don't think people appreciate the psychology uh, and, and the, like I said, the emotional intelligence of catchers sometimes because they will. They'll go out and they'll tell you exactly what you're supposed to hear at that moment to, like, get you in, mm-hmm. get you in gear. I had a pitching coach one time came out. I was in, the, like, the seventh or eighth inning, and our closer were starting to get loose. It was a tight game. And uh, he came out, and he's like, you know, maybe we should go to our closer here. He's like, it's, you know, it's a tight game. And, you know, your pitch count's getting up there. And he was just like, clearly, I'm like, dude, I know what you're doing. Like, you're you're just baiting me to tell you that I want to stay in, that I can get this guy out. Like, I know what you're doing, but it was still like kind of the right thing to do. Did you ever have any like moments where you did something like that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, there's always times where you go out there and say, look, you know, you're the guy in this in this moment. You know, I, I wouldn't say anything other than trying to build them up. You know, it wasn't anything trying to tear them down. But look, you're, you're the guy. You're the one who's out there. You know, we, we want you out here. And that's even something I would tell my pitchers now. If I give them the ball, I say, look, you know what? You're the guy I want right here. Let's go. You got this. I give them the ball and, and I walk off. It's about giving them the confidence that you have trust in, in, uh, in what they're able to do and what they can do. And I believe that plays a huge part in, in what they are. Any pitcher comes in, you know, you come in, in a situation and it, you know, things can get tough. You know, you can come in in a situation where run around third base and you're the guy you got to do this or or you don't, you know? So I think building the pitchers up and, and giving them what they need mentally more than anything, it's powerful and it really helps them uh, to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. So I can imagine a lot of the stuff that you learned and did and observed as a catcher is probably just making everything that you do as a manager easier because obviously you're having a lot of these meetings. Uh, So, but do you only go out to the mound? Uh, It's just my own curiosity. I know most times pitching coaches just go out and do all the visits and you just take guys out, but Do you ever have uh, like strategic visits with your pitchers or do you leave that all to your pitching coach?
1: No, there are times when that does happen. So let's say I have a situation where we're going to go out or I'm going to go out. I'll ask the pitching coach. I say, hey, anything you want me to tell him from his, you know, is there anything he sees? Because I'm going to go out right now. I have a reason to go out, whether it's to bring in the infielders, tell him something, talk, talk about the situation, talk about this hitter uh, what do we need to do so i'll ask him no he'll say no nothing or hey let it remind him something whatever it might be so yeah. i'll go out there and again what what is that that's for me that's just a i'm trying to calm the situation down build him up let the other guys know all right if this happens you know we're going to go here we're going to do this we're going to do that all right here we go let's do it and then he- head out so that is the same type of thing that a catcher can go out there and do obviously they're going to do it a little bit better a little bit more often the older they are when they get to know uh those strategies and and the pitchers and all those things but yes i do go out there and do it. that doesn't happen all the time where i go out in the time where the pitching coach usually does but it does happen gotcha
0: one thing i'm really curious about is how do you break up the duties? Because obviously on, on a minor league team, you have lots of different coaches. I think there's probably more coaches than ever as far as some of the more unique things and guys sort of having like these hybrid positions and coordinators. Um, mm-hmm. But if you could walk me through the sort of the day-to-day of what you do and what you delegate to your coaches, like are you active with the hitters? Like are you active with the catchers or do you guys have a catching coach? Um, just t- take me through kind of the, uh, the staff and what you guys do and how you all break up the, uh, the coaching duties for your, your squad.
1: Okay. So we have a hitting coach, a pitching coach, what, uh, what is titled as an assistant coach. And then obviously myself, the manager, and each one does have a role. Each one does uh, play a role in our, in our routine, our daily routine. So the first thing that we'll do, and then every day is different. So we'll have an early work schedule and it might be infielders it might be uh, hitting and it might be catching whatever it is so that's done so if it's catching obviously that's my department so i would handle the catchers and it's usually about 20 to 30 minutes max and that's that's 30 minutes would be on the high end of of an early work session and you have anywhere from two to three catchers on on a team. uh lower levels usually have about three but it's just going over some of the detail stuff. So we'll have that. And at the same time, there could be the outfielders might be in the outfield or with the assistant coach doing some outfield drills. And this is all part of our early work time slot, which is usually about a 20 minutes to 45 minutes total. Some guys, the outfielders might have started a little bit later. And then the hitting. Hitting is also going on at the same time. So, again, this is all going on during our early work time.
0: And, and that's typically are, like two o'clock in the afternoon for a seven o'clock game.
1: Yeah, um, roughly one one thirty to two o'clock start okay. times, depending on uh, the season. Uh, as the season progresses, and and we do a little bit less, we might start a little bit later. Uh, those type things, because you got to take those things into into account. You know, how are these guys performing? How are they feeling? How what are we seeing? You know, do are they look looking tired? Do we have to give them a blow? Those types of things. So. Those are all things that come on me. So I have to see those things. And I talk to the staff. I, I ask them what what they're seeing. And uh, and then we kind of adjust our schedule according to that. So then our pitchers are doing their thing with the pitching coach. Catchers are there, obviously catching the sides. Then that is all done. Then we start the normal everybody's included type of, of thing where everybody's stretching, everybody's getting ready. We might do a team fundamental if we're doing uh, – Bunt plays, and and if that's the fundamental of the day, then that's what we're really honing on for a solid 15 minutes. So it's not it's not much longer than that, 15 to 20 minutes max, where each pitcher is going through it one at a time, one at a time. We're doing the play, and if we mess that up or if we do something out kind of out of whack, we'll we'll stop right there. We'll talk about it and then keep it going, and that's how you really get those get those fundamentals down. It's just really do it. I'm big on bump plays and pitchers, uh, fielding their position, that type thing. Because those are those are things that are big in the game. So, And then after that, we go right into our BP, our normal BP. We usually have about three to four groups of BP. And then it's take a break. And that's when the other team takes the field, and then it's game time.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think the average fan doesn't realize how much is actually done and how long the day actually is for you know a minor league yeah. squad. I mean, they're in the the ballpark. You know, like you said, one thirty, you know, every day for a seven o'clock game. And they're going home, you know, eleven eleven thirty or jumping on the bus. It's mm-hmm. a long day. There's a lot of stuff that that goes on. Yeah. So I want to backtrack a minute. I want to go back through your story and, and one of the things I'm really interested to hear from you is. Um, what it was like to be a first-rounder. So, you know, as we go back through your bio, you played 14 seasons of pro baseball, um, now entering your seventh as a coach. Uh, You've just you been around tons of guys. You're in the big leagues. You're up to AAA a number of times yourself, so you're always knocking on the door. Um, But you were a pro baseball player at 18 after being, you know, the 40th overall pick of the Astros. And I, I just, like, can't imagine the mental circus that that's got to be like just for every person involved i mean you know there's so much media hype around you scouts at every game you know that's just got to be an immensely high pressure situation for a young man and then to start your career with all these expectations at 18 traveling around so i'd love to hear your uh your story about being a first rounder and i'm sure there's tons of kids and parents who would just be fascinated to hear what that experience is like
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it all started my junior year in high school. That was the first time that I was approached by a a pro scout. He gave me his business card, and and that's when I realized, wow, this is real. Like, this this can happen. I always dreamed of playing baseball, but I wasn't really – I didn't know so much about the profession of it, you know, just baseball. Let's go play baseball. So then I got approached by a by a scout, and that's when I knew this is real. This is something that that i'm I can do and that I'm going to do, you know? So then that's my junior year. Going into my senior year, now Scouts are everywhere. So I was a little bit uh, nervous. I, 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 I can't lie. I, I was seeing all these scouts at the game, and I knew that they were there to see me. They were to contact me, contacting me before, talking to me after. So, It was a little nerve-wracking to see these guys there. But, again, I still went out there and and just did my thing. And then coming up to the actual draft, again, not knowing anything about first round, second, all that stuff, I had no idea. I just knew that these guys now were showing much more interest. They're coming to my house than me and my parents, that whole thing. But to me, it was still about, all right, baseball. I want to play baseball. Next thing you know – all right, hey, you got to be ready by the phone because you're going to get a phone call. Okay, so I'm home waiting, and next thing you know, I get this call, you know, that I was picked by Houston, uh, I was compensation pick, 40th overall. Great, it was an excitement uh, just knowing that I was going to play. Again, it wasn't even about where I was picked. I wasn't thinking much about that. Or then, you know, you get the whole signing bonus, that whole thing, which is a, another deal. But it was just about, I was excited to play baseball. Wow, I couldn't wait. News people were at my house. I went into different media outlets and did some interviews, things of that nature. So there was a lot of things going on. Obviously, nothing like now. You're, you're a first-rounder now, and it is a thousand times uh, uh, different, you know, totally bigger. I, I believe now that pressure that they have now is a hundred times more than what I dealt with because of there wasn't as much uh, media outlets. It wasn't even things like this podcast and so many avenues of internet and, and everything that is out there now. So we had a telephone, uh, a house line, you know, so it was that it was either that or that's it, you know, so it wasn't as big as it is, in, as it is now. But it was still kind of an excitement that built, you know, so I had all that. So then the the whole negotiation started, which was another deal. I had had someone kind of negotiating for us. And I actually was getting tired of that whole process because all I wanted to do, all that, all I had in my mind was I just want to play baseball, you know? So we're going back and forth about money and and this and that. And that's just the business part of it now, you know, so they're going to, Offer you this, you have an agent kind of fighting for you, getting more, doing all that. Finally, it was like I told the agents, look, I just want to get this over with and play. So about we finally came to an agreement, and that was it. And then uh, not too long after that, I was off to our spring training site in Florida, which was uh, another thing. You know, 18 years old, I'm leaving home really for the first time by myself. Oh, no big deal. You know, there was some tears shed. Yeah, no problem. I get to Florida. I'm there. And now it hits me. I wake up the first morning. I w- And it was like I had these butterflies in my stomach. I was like, where am I? What am I doing? This is all while, when I woke up. I set my alarm. I still remember the song that came on when I, when I woke up that morning. And, and it was like. Wow, you know, I, it's just a, a nervous feeling. All right, so I get together with these guys. We go to the park. Now it's starting to go away. Now it's starting to go away. I'm seeing the baseball field. I'm seeing we're, we're in the locker room. We're changing. And as soon as we were on the field, it was like it was all gone. It was no more, there was no more nerves. That what I felt like waking up. It was just gone. And that was, I mean, I remember that so clear because of what I felt at the beginning, waking up and, and that whole process of, of just what I had gone through to get to there. You know, the whole draft, the whole negotiations, the whole leaving home, you know, the homesick part, all, all that stuff. And then finally getting to the ballpark and now you're doing what you've been wanting to do. And it was it was such a a, a overwhelming feeling but a, a good one when it finally got to that
0: so I, I had this as you were talking i had this like picture of you and you mentioned like the house phone of you know you like with the cord you know stretched all the way out of the kitchen you're like in, in the bathroom and your mom's like jimmy who, who are you talking to mom shut up it's the it's the yankees it's the astros yeah this is a, a very different time back in 1991 so how did you handle it with your teammates like what did your teammates think of all that
1: you know what? it wasn't I don't know what they thought. we we didn't really uh, it wasn't talking about that whole thing, you know, you know now you're just baseball players. now you're just together with these guys. And again, to me, I wasn't I wasn't so caught up in where I was picked. you know, it was now that I'm just here and we're we're together. we're playing that that's how I looked at it. you know, and things we talked about wasn't about, hey, you were drafted here, or, you know, would you sign for it was none of that. It was. Hey, we're doing this. What are you doing after? Let's get together. Let's go swimming. Let's go. It was that type of of uh, chemistry that we were building as a team, as a as a unit, you know. And obviously, you don't you're not hanging out with every single guy. You got your your friends that you um, get along with, and and guys that you're a little bit closer with, and that's just how it built, and that's just how it, it continued throughout my whole playing career. So, I mean, I've built uh, friendships that to this day. I am still in contact with those guys from, from year one, from year one. And, and even as the years went on that i I still have very close friends that I am, I am in contact with. So it was a, it was a huge, uh, a great experience, a huge part of my life that is still is is part of it today. So
0: you're of Dominican, uh, Dominican descent. So yes. did you have that? Could you flow between sort of like, the American guys and the Dominican guys. Cause in a clubhouse, there's always a dynamic, right? With the, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's just where you're from, or maybe it's, you know, speaking English is your first language, your second language, but could you kind of flow between the groups or like, what was your dynamic with, with all the guys?
1: Yeah, no, it was, I did exactly that because obviously being, uh, born here, being American, speaking English, speaking Spanish fluently, knowing their culture, knowing what they had gone through and, Because at the time, my parents didn't speak English either, so I was always there helping them, and and we'd get mail, and and I had to read the mail and tell my parents what what it was, so I kind of knew what that part was from from a player's perspective, where they're in this country and they don't understand the culture, the language, so I would help them there, even at, at 18, and... But I then I'm with the American guys the exact same way. We're talking about stuff that we do now as 18 year olds, you know, the, how we grew up, all, all that stuff. So for me, it was I was right in the middle of both. I wasn't obviously just hanging with one group. I, I had a, a group of friends on both cultures, Americans, uh, Latins. It was it really didn't matter. It was just, I, I just felt like I was a part of everybody you know, and I I know, I know it was a blessing. I didn't realize it then, but I just, that's how I was able to get along with all these guys and have, and have relationships and communication because of that dynamic.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that, and I'm sure today that also, you know, pays huge dividends, not to mention the fact that you were a catcher all these years and you could handle both guys from both cultures. So um, as you grew up in the game, did you have any like major mentors, uh, guys that kind of showed you how to be a pro and kind of showed you the ropes. And was there anyone who you feel like really steered you in a better direction? And if, if not for them um, maybe you wouldn't have picked up on something as quite as fast, or maybe you just, your whole career changed.
1: I, yeah, but yeah. Those guys are always there, you know, whether it be coaches or, or other players um, I mean, I had that, With coaching, especially, you know, I had Guy Conti, who was one of my coaches, and I met him later on. I met him in, in the year 2000, and just hearing him, he had already been in baseball years, and he was an older guy, an older man at the time, but just hearing his perspective, how calm he was on situations where I would ask him questions, he would tell me things, or sometimes I wouldn't have to ask anything, he's just coming out and telling me things. And this is at the double A level. So I'm already, I'm learning different things and, and hearing how he would handle this from a, he's a, he was our pitching coach. So gosh, that was a a, a huge learning curve. In 1997, I had um, Gary Allenson was my, was my double A manager. And I saw just kind of how he was, how he handled stuff. And, and and I learned so much from him as well, just seeing as a player. So I'm, I'm a player. I'm seeing how he is talking to us, how he's going over situations and, and just his demeanor. And I was like, wow, as I began coaching, all these things are now coming back to me. You know, how did these guys handle these situations? How did they address players? And then I had coaches who, who, you know, I believe weren't so good at at how they address players and, but that's going to happen everywhere. You're always going to have these guys who you really look up to, who really impacted you, and you're going to w- try to emulate what they did. So then, as a player, I had the exact same things with other players. You know, when I was playing, especially in, in winter ball in Dominican Republic, when I was playing with major leaguers and and watching these guys, how they carried themselves, how they what they did on the field and how they handled these situations. And I was always – and that's, again, that's the whole scouting thing where you're just observing and then you're trying to, all right, you know, I see how he did this. Let me try to uh, implement that into my game, even though I didn't necessarily do it exactly how they were doing it. But in my mind, I was in the exact same thing that he was doing. And those are things that helped me as a player. So, yeah, those people – I believe if you're open-minded if you have a growth mindset it it allows you to see others and really learn from others you know whether it be another player or another coach
0: yeah and i imagine as you because you you know played at every level in the minor leagues and i imagine that it's really tough when you go from you know a ball to double a or double a to triple a to sort of understand right away like what what new things lie ahead and like, what is the new standard and what things you can and can't get away with. Um, can you speak a little bit to the levels in the minor leagues? And like you said, well, like when you're, you you 1st got to double A, what did you quickly realize, for example, and maybe those, that first week, like, Oh, I can't do this anymore and get away with it. Or I can't, I, I need to call this type of uh sequence in this situation or, or just elaborate a little bit on the different levels and and how you experience them both as a player and as a, as a manager.
1: I believe that the the biggest jump for me or or the difference was from a ball to double a, uh, in a ball for one, you don't see many guys that were had already been in the big Mm -hmm. leagues, let's say, unless it was just a rehab assignment for a game or two. When I got to double a, there was already some guys who had been in the big leagues who for some reason might've, been back at double a or whatever so you see just the the uh, playing experience becomes a little bit different and that was back then where some older guys were in triple a some guys because they were older guys in triple a guy that might have gone back to double a and those were the reasons why you had some older guys but I think that was the biggest jump and one of the things for me was was going over hitters and and How are we going to pitch this guy So, or this whole lineup? And that was where I really understood how much the meetings with the pitchers and the pitching coach, how important that was because it was almost like overwhelming mentally. You're going over every hitter. You're going over the pitcher. You're going over all these things. And I remember being uh, kind of mentally fatigued just from doing all that, going through a game behind the plate and remembering all these hitters, and okay, we this guy uh, we got runners in scoring position, and we have to make sure we do this. We're we're going with the pitcher's strength here. This hitter's weakness is this. So always remembering all those things, it was a little taxing mentally, you know. So that was the first time where I really began to do that. Then it just became obviously easier. The first time making that adjustment was was harder. You know, and that's why now even me coaching at the A-ball level, we do that. You know, we throw that at them. And, and yes, they might feel the exact same way that I felt there, but now they're they're learning it at a younger age. So now that they're – when they do get to double A or even in A-ball, in high A, they're, they're ready. They already know this isn't new to them. Yeah. So, again, going back to the, the levels, you know, that was kind of just how it was. In A-ball, you kind of went out there and you – you were working on stuff individually and you always are as a player, but it was kind of that focus and, and you know, you're trying to make sure you block balls, make sure you're working on your throwing mechanics, but there was a lot more of the mental side as as you progressed in levels and that, that's how I saw it where at a was working on certain things kind of individually and it, it, we we're talking with, with the pitchers, but not as much you know, yeah. because those are, those are things that we were learning. So.
0: So it sounds it like better at the younger levels, guys are still trying to, f- to clean up their physical game. And then once it's to a certain level and they, they can hit and they can put up the numbers that they need to put up, then maybe they get a chance at double A and beyond. Is that an accurate way of looking at it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you, you are still doing these things at a ball, but it, or at least for me back then it wasn't as much. You know, they yeah. were talking about certain things, but it was just kind of it was thrown out there something real quick. I keep the, don't forget about this. Then it became where it was more detailed. There was a strategy for every hitter, you know, and, and runners in scoring position and, and this. So that's when I was like, whoa, you know, this is. And I remember feeling like just mentally fatigued. Yeah. It had nothing to do with physical, and then you got the physical part after the game. So it doesn't of both, you know, and so that was the, the the biggest jump where it was both physical and mental for me.
0: And is that in part because pitchers maybe can't execute pitches quite as well and at the A level? or they just – the command's not there? Or when do you feel like they're really ready to even use – some of those, you know, like, hey, we have a scouting report on every guy. We have a plan for every guy. Obviously, like, the plan doesn't matter if they can't execute pitches. Um, is that part of the, the thing that factors in, in that, you know, mental jump?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely does. So, for me, being a manager at, at, at low A, like I was last year, okay, we have a plan that we're trying to execute. So, we said the catcher knows, okay, we're trying to throw this particular hitter away. We set up on the outer outer half. But, yeah, now the pitcher is trying to execute that, but it's probably 50-50 depending on the pitcher. Some guys can execute more than others, but we know that. We know that sometimes, okay, how did he get a hit? Well, maybe the pitcher didn't execute the pitch. So we know that they're not always going to execute the plan that's in hand because of their command. So that's something that happens at the lower levels now. Once they start getting high A, which they're still working on, and even double A, where they're still working on things, but it, now they can, uh, we can implement a little bit more on on the plan and and trying to execute that plan.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you know, with me working with younger kids, you know, I talk through, you know, here's how you travel the plate. We have middle, you know, we cut into halves. We go to thirds, mm-hmm. you know, and, and corners and And even then I know as like a, as a 12 year old, it's good to get the gears turning, but I know full well that, you know, they're not going to be able to differentiate between outer half and outer third, you know, but Mm -hmm. it just, you know, as you probably know, it just takes so long. I mean, how many times you have to tell a guy for it to finally stick and then they finally like get beat up in a game and then it like all clicks like, Oh, now I get why I should have done this. And then it happens. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that learning curve is so. So long and so interesting. Um, Were there any moments where you felt like during your playing career, something happened and it just sort of expanded your mind? Like you gave up, like for me, there's a walk-off home run I gave up where Mm -hmm. I was pitching against a guy in the Atlantic League and he was just like fouling balls off, fouling balls off, fouling balls off. I had the winning run on second. It was like the ninth inning of a tie game. And he had played in the major leagues. And so I knew this. This was like in the back of my mind as my scouting report. And I'm, he's just super late on all my fastballs. And I'm like, certainly he's just going to shorten up and punch him through the right side, and I'll, you know, the game will be over. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm, I'm playing to prevent a single, not just like I'm not afraid of him taking me deep. So I switched mm-hmm. pitches. I kind of ignored the fact that he was super late. Threw a curveball threw right down the middle of the plate, and he banged out a two-run home run to lose the game like that for me. <laughs> Like, I'll never forget that moment because of just, you know, how frustrated I was. But also just, it was a clear, the best teacher I could have had about never forget what the hitter's telling you right then at that moment. Not, you know, irregardless of the scouting report, but were there any moments like that from your playing career, your coaching career, where maybe just like really stuck out and it kind of probably expanded your mind and helped you long-term?
1: I think one of the times it's kind of similar to your story where I was playing in Dominican Republic and... Julio Franco was was hitting and the report was don't throw him inside keep everything on the outer half because he can get to the ball on the inside Well, we're throwing away. We're throwing away and it's say, same type of tip, tip uh, Typical thing where he was fouling some balls off. So I know now my pitcher. I mean this guy's mid 90s You know what? Let's go fastball in I call fastball in pitcher agrees Yanks it right down the line for a double (laughs) to run score. And right there, I was like, man, you know, I felt responsible because I knew I was going something different. Now, again, same type thing that, you know, the hitter was showing me something that, okay, he was fouling this off, but he was still getting to it. But his strength was on the inside part. Don't go there. Let's stay away from that Ah, man. And. Obviously kind of that situation taught me, look, you know, you have a plan, stick, stick with it. And that's something that we, we teach now to even our hitters, you go up there with a plan, don't change it. Because if you do your, it's going to go, it's going to go astray. It's going to go off. It's going to be crazy. So, you know, we talk about approaches and and plans. If if you stick with it, obviously it's not always going to work, but you're going to have better results if you stick with your plan. So that was one of the the key moments, and that was probably in the year 2000. Um, so it was a it was a later on in my career, but still one of those moments where, gosh, I remember going against a, a scouting report, and uh, just taught me stick with it no matter what.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, even at like 87 years old, Julio Franco could still <laughs> pull a, a 96 mile per hour fastball, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that dude. So, was the, were the rumors true? Like, what size bat was he swinging? You're probably like, oh man, he can't get this 38 inch bat around. He can't pull yeah, that. Yeah,
1: it it was how it was where he was standing. It was how he was hitting. It was just not. There's no way he's gonna turn on this fastball with with uh, varus on the mound. Bull fastball in. He sure did. Right, <laughs> right down the line. Right down the line.
0: And I think, uh, and you could probably, you know, testify to this. But like some of those guys. I feel like they can defy scouting reports because they're just so athletic and just so quick, and they just – they have special things. Like, I don't know, you know, like, Big Poppy seems like a good example. I know you played, uh, you know, with him. But a guy Mm -hmm. where you're like, okay, there's just, like, no way he could – after this sequence, like, there's no way he can do this. But then he just resets and just, like, drives the pitch that just made sense, like you said with – kind of like with Julio. I mean, do you see Mm -hmm. that with some of those guys? They just – can sort of like defy almost like a, a scouting report
1: all the time because that's what when, when we talk about baseball players, especially high level baseball players, it's all about making adjustments and they can make the adjustment pitch to pitch. And that's what we're trying to teach guys to be able to don't make the don't make the adjustment in a week, don't make it uh tomorrow, don't make it later on in the game, make it right now. And that's what these guys do, obviously. We're preaching that. We're trying to tell them that some guys can do it, others can't. Guys who have more experience, a big poppy, they can do that pitch to pitch. And they know the scouting reports. They know how they're going to be pitched. So it's not that they're giving into to that, but they make adjustments based on, on that particular pitch or that particular situation. So, yes, you see that constantly day in and day out. So for you
0: as a, as a, a single-A manager, what is your – what is your routine? I mean, you talk about having a plan and sticking to it. So obviously, you know, you've got a ton of baseball acumen, a ton of baseball experience. You're, you know, a growth mindset guy who's not afraid of the, the new um, shiny coat that baseball is wearing with all the analytics and stats. What is your plan for yourself that you're sticking with to try to, you know, continue to climb the ranks as a coach and hopefully one day be a, a big league manager?
1: Well, I think it's just – you know, you go out there and you have these plans on what you're working with with players. You have this plan on how you're trying to execute this game, right? Obviously, at the level that I'm at right now, again, we're working on developing these players. So they're, they might be working on certain pitches. So that's where, all right, we know that we have to do that, you know. But once the game goes on, I don't care who it is at what level, you want to win. You want to go out there and you want to you want to win this game. So what I do is I try to put these players in the best position to succeed, and that's uh, mentally. You know, those are the meetings we have, and that's physically out there, bringing the pitcher in where we know he has to pitch. But you know what? It wouldn't be helpful to him to bring them in right now. You know, let's wait for uh, maybe the the next hitter. So, you know, those are things where you're still trying to uh, use strategic things. And obviously this is all based on, we know a lot now, nowadays, there's so much information that we have even at the minor league level where yes, the players don't have the same amount of experience, but we still have their numbers from college. If they went to college, uh, the, the last couple of years of pro ball, if they were in for the last couple of years. So we have those stats. You know so they they do have some tendencies that they do so we are trying to uh, put our players in the or our pitchers in that particular case in a position to succeed so i'm using the information that we have but i'm also using uh what i'm seeing because i believe you have to have both you have to use both you know if you don't use the information i don't think you're getting the full effect if you don't use what you're seeing you're also not getting the full effect so You have to be able to combine both those things, the analytics, and and then kind of what you're seeing and and what you're feeling because the analytics isn't going to show you, you know, if that guy's fatigued for this day or what he did uh, the day before or or anything like that. So that's where you got to kind of see that. Obviously, you know the numbers, you know what's going on there, and then, you know, that's where you'll see, you know, guys are using their their own instincts to make make a decision. So that's one thing I'm trying to continue to do you know use use what i'm seeing and use the information to put our guys in the best position to succeed.
0: Yeah, do you have a like a favorite stat or a favorite new thing that's kind of opened your eyes and maybe uh helps you see the game in a in a new light? I'll give you an example for myself. So when i was playing in my last couple of years, you know, they had some advanced statistics for us and i looked through them and i was like, "Uh, like batting average for balls in play. I wonder what that is." And all these other ones, i wonder what that is. And I started looking at him, and I, I remember just for me, batting average for balls in play was something that I used mentally to write myself when maybe I was running just bad. Like you know, like all right, my my BABIP is 450 right now. Like it, it, and I'm not pitching bad, so I'm probably just going through a little bit of bad luck. So just like pat myself on the back, like just stay the course, Dan, like that kind of thing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like it'll level out a little bit. You're just running bad a little bit right now. Like that for me mentally as a a pitcher, just seeing that there is variability in the game. There is some bad luck. And here it is like in front of you, just keep doing your thing and and it'll sort of normalize. That stat like gave me some mental comfort and it helped me get Mm -hmm. through slumps a little bit. Um, Is there anything like on the catching side or hitting side or pitching side that you feel like like, that you're like, I'm glad this stat exists. I like looking at this. This has kind of changed
1: my outlook on the game. Yeah, for sure. I use a, a lot of that stuff when, to for every position when it comes to defense, the hitters, when I make lineups, I obviously I know all this the day before. So for tomorrow's lineup that night, I'm looking at our right, who are we facing? And I go into all the numbers. You know, how does he pitch against righties? How does he pitch against lefties? What is the batting average against all that stuff? Walk, walk ratio, strikeout ratio, all that stuff. And now, yes, I have players that have to play, but I have some guys that I, I can kind of platoon. And you know what? I'm going to go with this guy because he does better against this type of pitcher. So I, I do those things. It's not just, all right, here it is. Go out there. And again, that goes back to I want my guys to succeed. So if I know this guy's going to struggle, unless he just, you know, this, he has to play and, and he's just going to go out there. But if I have a choice, between two guys and you know what this guy's going to succeed better off of this guy and this guy's not then I'll, I'll go with this guy So I use all those numbers uh, The the hitting ones, you know, I go I start simple, you know, how, how are, what's their strikeouts What their what what are their walks? I use that also with the catcher so that they know each hitter I post on the board in the dugout the hitters walks the hitter strikeouts the hitters um average all that stuff number of at bats you know what is there? these guys are prone to strike out remember that keep that in mind the reason why they're striking out is they're probably committing to pitches that they should lay off but they can't you know so there's there's a lot of little stats and these are these are constant things that i am reminding our catchers our infielders whether to you know shift or move because we don't just shift them from the dugout we Talk to them before. You know, this guy has a tendency of this. His stats show that he does this. So, we're trying to implement that and show that to these guys. And again, that's part of part of the learning thing. But yeah, to answer the question, I, I use all these numbers to to make lineups to put hitters uh, and uh, players in the best position to succeed.
0: So that uh that's a that's a good answer. I mean, I know there's so much information available to you. So just trying to sift through it, I'm sure, is a daunting task just on a day to day basis. Um, So when you guys shift, so number one, the shifting thing is fascinating because you don't see, you know, like, do they all have like a wrist guard on and they're like, okay, I got to go 16 inches to my left and to my right. Um, You know, and I know shifting is becoming more and more common in minor league baseball. Um, Can you tell me, take me through like the nuts and bolts of getting a shift? Like, how do you get guys to go into the right position? Who do they look to? Do you have, like, lots of meetings on this? How do they know to be exactly where you guys want them to be?
1: Well, we do both things. We have traditional ways of, you know, they're always constantly looking in the dugout, and we have a coach who's moving them left or right or or telling them where to go. They also have to know based on the pitch. You know, so there's certain pitches. They might uh, play a little bit more to the pull side. If it's fastball, speed, they're going to kind of shade off a little in the opposite direction. But they're constantly looking in. You're seeing now, even at the big league level, where these guys have cards in their pockets and they're taking out cards and looking. And that is all based on the hitters, what their tendencies are, and where they have to play. So, obviously, that's now coming into the minor leagues as well. I saw a team last year at our level with cards in their pockets and they were pulling out the cards and they were shifting to those what the cards was, was were telling them to do. So that is that is another big part of this game. We don't necessarily use cards, but I don't see why we wouldn't in the future perhaps, you know, to to keep up with with all that.
0: That's pretty interesting. You could have like a like a a Grounds crewman run out and just like spray paints a diagram in front of the shortstop before the inning, and then he like scratches <laughs> it out with his cleats before he runs out so the opponents can't see it but just uh procedurally that that seems you know like the game moves so fast, i mean even though it's a slow game compared to some others, it still moves so fast, and I was always curious oh, yeah. as what guys are now doing as this thing is you know you could potentially shift on every hitter in an inning, you know, and they're they're not small shifts anymore either I mean are you seeing no. more? more big shifts at the minor league level or is it still still kind of small stuff like with the pitch with just like a little bit? No,
1: no, I'm seeing huge. Shift. I'm seeing what, what you see in the major leagues. I saw last year at low a Midwest league and it's not every team, but you're seeing guys. So even the little shifts aren't, aren't as little anymore. They're a little bit bigger, but some of them were doing like big league shifts where the third baseman is almost at the shortstop area. The shortstop is on the other side of second base and, like those types of shifts. And it doesn't always work at that level again. Why? Because the pitcher can't execute as well, yeah. but, but it does. If he's close to what he has to do and the hitter does what he is, uh, has a tendency of doing, then it. I did see it work a lot, you know? So, and that's where baseball is going, you know? Okay. So if you, if, if you're apt to doing this, then okay, I'm going to play to that, you know, because I'm going to get an advantage I'm going to get you out, you know? So, and again, that, that's what this whole thing is coming to. How, how can I succeed? You know, what information can I use to succeed? And that's where this is, this is going and I don't see anything wrong with that.
0: And who draws these shifts up? So is it, is it you? I mean, like when you have this full report on a whole team, like you got, all right, 14 or or 12 potential hitters from the opponents, um, who makes, like, alright, this is the official chart for, you know, Tommy Smith on the, the other team, like, who makes that?
1: We, we come together as a staff, so it's our, our uh, infield coach, whoever is, is uh, running that infield part, and we talk about, okay, this guy, we're gonna we're gonna play him there, so we have all that written down. We'll go over it with each individual infielder, and it's something quick, it's nothing uh, too overwhelming, but then they know, so they know that in their mind but they're still peeking in so if, if they don't necessarily shift where we want them to we'll direct them to go a little bit more and they know how many steps they need to take based on what we tell them so yeah. all that is being communicated before and even during the game so that they know where to
0: play gotcha so it's one part high-tech uh analysis the other part screaming at the <laughs> end the <MVP, just laughs> getting their attention yeah. but yeah you know what's what's funny about the shifting thing is and i know you and I, i'm probably from one of the, the last generations who still played like baseball in their backyard and i'm sure you played just tons and tons of it as a kid but mm-hmm. we shifted all the time playing backyard baseball like if your buddy comes up who just yanks the ball all the time like everyone's over on that side <laughs> of the field you know like, yeah <laughs> this is no, it's nothing new like kids are kids are smart and that's just right. thinking back to like those backyard games it's uh it's interesting how it how it parallels because when your only job is to like not let your buddy get a hit, like, like you, you do whatever you feel like doing, you know? And it's kind of funny. So as we kind of wrap up, what, uh, what advice would you have for young catchers and parents of catchers and coaches who obviously have a number of catchers they're trying to develop as best they can? What advice would you have with all your experience and, you know, the way the game's changing, um, you know, for, A young catcher who might have your ear for a couple minutes
1: i think we we get we get so caught up into the three core things right receiving blocking and throwing which you can never get away from but there's so many other little details when it comes to mental when it comes to uh why am i doing this So pay attention to all those little details and always be open and ask questions when it comes to if you're supposed to do this, you know, why should I do this to have an idea? Because I see a lot of young catchers where all they're trained to do is look in the dugout, get a sign, put it down. Okay. Okay. Why? And they don't necessarily have to ask, but they can ask themselves. Okay. He's calling a fastball. Why would it be a fastball? And this is all things that are going to help them as they, continue to grow as as young players because obviously they're not going to always know or even ask that question but if they if they are beginning to think of those things now you get to that point where you're in high school and now like you said Earlier, it, things just click, or you get into college and something just clicks. And now it's not something you're just hearing for the first time. All right, this is something I thought about when I was 12 years old. This is something my coach told me when I was 13. Now I understand, you know, fully because I've thought about it. I, I've I've worked on that type of thing. That's a lot of the mental side, of course. But there's certain things that they can do to always just keep learning, aside from receiving, blocking and throwing. You know, so there's there's so much more. And just be open and ask questions as to you know, why we're doing certain things and have reasonings for it. All right.
0: So I wanna thank Jimmy for being on the show today. He had a ton of great info to share. Obviously a wealth of information in the game. You know, as as a catcher, you know, being that general, seeing everything that's happening on the field, you know, you could just tell how much he has learned about the game, both as a player and as a coach. So Jimmy, how can uh, people follow up with you this year I heard you got promoted so congratulations number one
1: thank you thank you very much
0: and you're uh I so have, you're with the, I, sorry go yeah, ahead I,
1: I have a uh, a twitter account it's at uh, gonzo 3131 and obviously all the uh media outlets that the teams have we usually uh get those if someone reaches out and and they'll usually let me know if it's something that I don't have and and I'm always willing to help any young players need any information
0: and so you're the Myrtle Beach Pelicans manager this this upcoming year. So yes, sir. Looking forward to uh to I don't know if it's more warm weather. I guess you'll have a warmer spring, right? But yes. then it'll be a pretty warm summer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay with that. You know, it's a uh, Midwest league. Uh, it's it's hit or miss. You know, you could have a, a decent day. You could have a day where it's just snowing, rainy, cold. So I'm not gonna miss that part. I'll be yeah. honest with you of the Midwest League, uh, but you know what? The weather was never really that bad throughout the whole season. You know, we had those extremes in the in the beginning with cold, but wasn't too bad as the season went on. So, and I know Myrtle Beach does get a little bit hot and humid. So, but uh, that's all right. I think I'll take that over the
0: cold. Yeah, for sure. Should be an awesome experience. So definitely follow up. I'll put uh, Coach Gonzalez's Twitter handle and I'll put a link to the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Uh, where he'll be managing this year in the description of the podcast and the YouTube. So definitely follow up with him. And thanks again. This is an awesome conversation. I wish you luck in the upcoming season. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. All right. That wraps it up for this week. I want to thank again, my guest coach, Jimmy Gonzalez, be sure to go support the Myrtle beach Pelicans. If you're in the South Carolina area, definitely follow up with him on social media and just remember that this is a guy who back in 1991 was drafted it was a first-round pick and continues to evolve and continues to be open to learning he talked a ton about growth mindset and just being willing and able to accept some of the changes that are happening in baseball baseball is changing faster now than it ever has before and I think a lot of coaches who are who played such a long time in a slightly different generation could easily you know be overwhelmed by some of this stuff or be unable to, you know accept the way the game is just progressing and evolving. But you can just tell that he's interested and excited at accepting the new things while marrying it with his experience as a player and just sort of finding a harmonious balance and it seems like he's a a great manager who would find unique ways to get the best out of his players so thanks again for being here be sure to share the show with a friend like it leave a comment and don't forget to jump on my website sign up for my email list you can also find links below in the show notes and description that way you'll be one of the first to know when i release a new vlog a new podcast a new pitching video article And you'll get updates on my upcoming book, Dear Baseball Gods, which will be released on April 15th. So thanks again, and we'll see you here next week.